0: Welcome to Twelve Days of Edition Wars, where we take a deep dive into the mechanics and playstyles of all the editions of our favorite game. We'll get what worked, what didn't, what led to better games, as well as what didn't, and we talk about it all. This series features a deep dive into the blue-covered DMGR series of books. What advice can we take from these books and use in our current games? On the second day of Edition Wars, my DM gave to me. The Campaign Sourcebook and Catacomb Guide, this second edition AD&D sourcebook, was written by Janelle Jacquez and William W. Connors and published in 1990. DMGR1 was the first in a series of nine DM-focused books for second edition AD&D. Uh, these are the blue uh, faux-leather softcover books. And With me tonight, as always, Sam Dillon.
1: Hello, hello. Wow. All right. So I think we have planned to try to get through three chapters tonight, chapters three, four, and five. And that may sound laughable to anybody listening to this. However, I just want to point out that there is one thing in our favor. Chapter five is literally two pages.
0: That, that is certainly in our favor. <laughs> uh, counterpoint, <laughs> all of chapter four
1: party pooper. Anyway.
0: <laughs> hey, I I'm, I'm just trying to <laughs> warn people that I have yeah. had arguments about the contents of chapter 4 on Twitter within the last week.
1: Oh no, really? So, so
0: <sighs> these are not conversations that are going away or getting resolved literally ever.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, many of <laughs> these aren't. That's what makes this book so interesting, right? Oh
0: yeah. It, it's it's why it's a, a it's a position piece and treatise on DMing,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Yep. Like these conversations weren't new to William and Janelle in 1990. Right. They'd been in the the letters to the editor forum uh, pieces in the Dragon for years by that point.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: the only thing that's, that's changed now is age. Yeah. Um, now we're going to see some things in Chapter Three, Pacing and Theatrics, where things have changed, mostly on the tech side.
1: Uh, True, but I mean the actual advice. Oh yeah, uh, the, isn't the, outdated.
0: No, it's right. not. It's not. Uh, like where, where you, it's where they get into tech that things have changed.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Because. I don't know. It didn't occur to them to have people just put their character sheets on a, an iPad <laughs> or a Kindle Fire. This seems weird now, but right. like they just never thought of it. Of course you do that,
1: right? Just go watch CSI Miami, some of the earlier seasons from like 2003, 2004, when iPhones were not a thing, and you'll see everybody oh, with their flip phones. And it's like Ugh. look at those old ass antique phones. Except that's what was available, and that was high tech at the time. So yeah. I, I'll, I'll give Janelle and William a little bit of leeway for not being able to predict that you know in thirty years it will be so different. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but obviously, I am just trying to be funny. Um, I of course I think that there that that really everything here is. Uh, current and applicable um, I mean there's really even very little in here where the the tone has aged poorly. very right. very little. but let's let's take it piece by piece. Um, they start with a discussion of pacing, right mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know they, they say the DM must actively control the pace. Sure, I, I think that's mm-hmm. uh, it's pretty widely agreed upon. There's plenty that players can do to put the brakes on the pace. Comparatively little they can do to, uh, you know, put on the gas, right? Right. Um, mostly, it's just yes, I agree. We can move on. Mm-hmm. Is what lets it move on instead of right. hey, I want to do an additional thing here. Um, but. The, the, the text says specifically controlling the pace of play may well be one of the most important steps toward becoming a master DM. That's mm-hmm. yeah, about fair. It's about fair.
1: Um, I mean, the whole first paragraph of this chapter lays at the DM's feet the immense responsibility that they have. Right. I mean, yeah. the paragraph is, is beautifully written, but it tells you exactly what is expected of you in terms of setting the pace and you know it's going through this list of items and some of them are contradictory because it's about the balance between them right it's about the balance between suspense and humor or uh you know the uh too fast versus too slow or the heavy role playing versus heavy combat i mean it's all about balance and Ultimately, that is the DM's job, if not to maintain it completely 100%, to pay attention and start to notice when it needs to change.
0: Yep. Yep. Um, What the the chapter does have is a a lot of your sort of sample text situations. um, And that's going to, pick up a little more later in the chapter. Uh, Mm -hmm. We are notorious critics of uh, sort of these actual play scripts, if you will. Right. And that's not changing. Yeah. They they, they still are stilted. And some of them, I would say, wind up almost arguing the opposite point that they mean to argue for (laughs) that reason.
1: Um, Yeah.
0: But like, there's there's stuff all the way down to how to be a public speaker to a small group-hmm that, that that's your first sidebar um, you know don't drone on and on never varying your tone right. you know um, no need to call me out like that y'all I'm a podcaster <laughs> I'm doing my best all right it's just just rude
1: yeah jeez. Who would, who'd have known they would be talking directly to you 30 years later? Do
0: I come into your house?
1: You know? <laughs> yeah um, Yeah I mean the you know the advice here is 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 not off base. Uh, some right. of it is uh, some of it I don't actually agree with. Per se, like I, I agree with the idea of it, but the sure. way sometimes the way that they present an example is is sort of eh, that's that's not really how I would like. That doesn't really illustrate the point as as well as sure it could be you know, sure. um, and, and some of
0: the like some of the use cases they're imagining as um, like common fail states or stereotypes of players and dms mm-hmm. have morphed a bit over the years right right, right. Um, like uh, scenarios 2 and 3 in this sidebar um, like the, the scenario 2 is someone running basically a splatterpunk game
1: mm-hmm.
0: and like that's more like a life choice
1: right <laughs> that,
0: that that needs some some table consent um it, like it, it probably wouldn't be for me though as a um, as sort of a seasoning rather than a main course, I'm intrigued. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't I haven't played something like that, so I' I'm, I'm, let say I'm intrigued. Uh, and then like, I have not ever been at a table that I could see as their scenario 3, the sort of already foreign film version. It seems improbable.
1: Um, I mean, to me, that sounds like, well, first, a non d d game, but sure. second, like a con game where it's a one shot, you're sitting down at a table, and it's like thrill ride with twists and turns every moment until the three hours is up and the game's over. Right? Sure. So I could see that. But the thing is, like, if you notice in my description, that sounds fun, <laughs> right? Yeah, and yeah, here it it's like, oh, don't do okay. this. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm sort of like, you know, there scenarios. Well, definitely scenario one, of course, is, is not what you want to do. But I feel like two and three actually have a place, right? Maybe not in a long D&D campaign, but in a one-shot or or a particular genre. I you
0: mean, know. If, you, if you take them – uh, sort of at face value for, you know, it's, it's so already that it's hard to follow. Okay. That's true. Sure, that's sure. problem. Yeah.
1: That's a problem in any game. Yeah, sure. Sure. I'll um, that.
0: They're, they're trying to define fail states and these are three of them. There are a lot mm-hmm. more. We're going to get to a bunch of them. Um, right.
1: <laughs> yeah. But
0: you know, they're, they're trying to say, um, Hey, here's three extreme states of, of DMing. Um, mm-hmm. And it's almost sort of uh, too slow, too fast, too much,
1: something, right? Uh, right. But
0: but we all we'll get what they're talking about right. here. Well, and that's again, fine.
1: they're trying to illustrate the balance, right? Where take taken individually, these might be okay, but really, it's about in the long run, it's about balance. And you can't do this for every session because it won't be balanced. And eventually it's going to run afoul of someone's fun. Right.
0: Um, And, you know, get the players moving is is absolutely one of those things where either you need to do it and you need to know when it's the right time. Or you need to recognize that the table is having so much fun role playing and planning Mm -hmm. and getting little stuff checked off that you can sit on your hands and watch the session and just be, you know, popcorn eating audience. Right. I've had a great time doing that as DM. Um, Well, and here's the thing, a a completely enjoyable session that is just, uh, you know, two or three players come to the table with a conflict that they need to resolve. Mm -hmm. That is mostly about another character. It isn't PVP. It's just, Hey, we got to hash this out. And if they're mm-hmm. if they if they come at it the right way and like are willing to play ball with each other, like uh, uh, it's cool. I had a session plan, but whatever. They're they're off to the races,
1: mm-hmm. right? Well, and here's the thing, though. So this this chapter, the, the first third of this chapter, anyway, goes a long way towards talking about how, how um, different advice in how to change the pace when it needs to be mm-hmm. changed, and they go so far as to say. That in general, learning to read and uh, read a group and altering the pace of play to accommodate both the interests of the players and the needs of the adventure and storyline that comes with experience. Right. And that, you know, here's some things you can do to sort of to, to do to change the pace. But the thing they can't do and that they don't do is actually teach you how to read your group. Right. Right. And I'm, I'm not sure there
0: are words in our language that would be sufficient right. to well, it, and that's teach where that I was sort of that's
1: that's no. where I was going was and they can't because it is so group dependent and it's so personality dependent and it's so dependent on the people at the table that mm-hmm, you can't mm-hmm, possibly mm-hmm. write a guide to that. At least it won't be a D and D guide, it'll be some kind of weird psychology book, right? And it still may not apply to everybody, right? So so what I'm just pointing out that while they're saying this is extremely important and here's things you can do to to change the pace and here's advice that you can use to sort of uh, balance the pace. knowing when you need to speed up and when you need to slow down, that is the art part of being a dm mm-hmm. right that's not the science part you can't learn that there's not a set of 10 rules that will make that work for you for every game for every group of players for every table it just that does not exist so you're absolutely. not going to find that in this book right so don't right. expect to
0: <laughs> right and and uh, uh, as we're both saying like no one needs to hold that against them for not having written it
1: oh um, absolutely absolutely
0: and, yeah. and their are tools for uh, changing up the pace and for not slowing the pace. Because honestly, if you, if you have to choose between too fast and too slow, too fast is safer.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Right. Um, so like create unusual mm-hmm. puzzles. Well, that, that one's going to be divisive. That's always going to be a way to slow things way down. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of, discourse even today about puzzles in games, I think that what they're talking about is not sort of breaking out the Sudoku, though I'm personally in favor of that. And (laughs) uh, Colin has successfully run some uh, really amazing puzzle puzzles, like Towers of Hanoi type -hmm. stuff in his games that were properly integrated. Um, Also, it's a big deal in LARPing. But um, point being, you can have a puzzle that is another step more integrated into the narrative, so mm-hmm. it is just seamlessly a thing for the characters to figure out in the narrative, and it, you haven't said, "Hey, this is a clue." They've just intuited that's a clue,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Uh, kind of thing, right? Yeah, and you know we need to figure out what spell this bad guy has cast that is. You know, screwing us up in this situation. Well, like, what can we observe? You're solving a puzzle. Mm -hmm. Let's not mess around. Right. It's a totally normal puzzle to solve in D and D, and that's great. Right. Um. Anyway, um.
1: I mean, to me, really, this and this gets such a small. Let's just like two sentences, or even it's only just one sentence, even. But it's really more about don't be afraid to put a puzzle out there if there's been a lot of combat. Because you need to break up not just the pacing and the speed of the the session as a whole, but what you're doing during that time. Because you can actually run a puzzle that is relatively fast-paced, comparatively, right? It's not going to be as fast-paced and as quick as a round in combat, but it can be quick. It doesn't have to slow the game way down, although Mm -hmm. it also could.
0: Yep. Well, um, one of the great truths of puzzles is uh, you can make something almost mindlessly simple if you also tell the players there's a time limit and you die if you fail the time limit. <laughs> they will struggle.
1: Right. They, they, yes. they
0: may succeed, but they will struggle mm-hmm. if right. you've focused their attention properly on the time limit and the stakes because mm-hmm. our brains right. don't handle threat well.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Um,
0: so they go through several more of these Um Encouraging rapid play. Well, yes, keeping combat snappy is basically always better Mm -hmm. um, in particular. But they're they're also talking about things like crosstalk at the table. Um, They talk about predetermined turn order. And that's a weird idea. I, I I really struggle with that bullet point because we have initiative in this game. Like second edition in particular has constantly changing initiative, so mm-hmm. i'm not i I'm, I'm not sure what they're getting at there
1: so think of this as an out of combat thing right uh-huh. that when right, when you're but- when you're actually discussing with with the with the players or when you're doing a scene with the players and and they're going to act in the in the scene and it's not a combat scene. So you didn't roll initiative if you have a predetermined like, okay, whenever we're in this scene, I'm gonna just go around the table. I'm gonna start with you. What are you doing? And then I'm gonna go to you. What are you doing? Right. And so everybody knows sort of when their turn is gonna hit, even though you didn't roll initiative. That's I think what f- it's f- Fair enough.
0: About. I would not do it quite that way, but I, well, I take your I point. Mean,
1: Yeah, I'm not saying that it's a great way to do it. I'm just saying I think that's what they're talking about because this is uh, out of combat. And, you know, they talk about, um, you know, uh, discouraging unnecessary chatter and making sure everybody has all the dice they need, um, be willing to make up rules, right? Like you don't have to stop the game to look in a book to make up rules. I mean, so some of these are really solid and some of them feel kind of. Like you're, you have a problem with the predetermined term, or I have a problem with the last bullet point, right? Be willing to fudge a dice roll or overlook an obscure rule if it would damage the pace of play. I mean, just philosophically, I'm against fudging. For me personally, uh, I don't judge so, it. So, but,
0: so, so sure, I, you know. I'm, I'm with you on not fudging. I, I, I roll in the open nowadays, mm-hmm. Um because. Uh I would – I much prefer to just wash my hands of the grisly deaths of my players.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> uh, characters. I meant, I meant characters. Yes, um, yes. But overlooking an obscure rule, uh, guys, if you think you have never look, overlooked an obscure rule, you are kidding yourself.
1: Oh, sure. Oh, sure. But um, I mean the, – but the thing is like they mush that in, but they actually talk about the obscure rule in the bullet point of, in front of that, right? Sure. Yep. And I, I accept it and approve and fully am on board with that one yep, about yep. making a judgment call. But then to add that also in with fudging dice to…
0: Uh, right. So 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 there's one use case where I sort of agree with fudging dice, and that is you called for the roll before you realized you didn't have anything interesting for failure.
1: Right. Sure.
0: Or… like. You already had the plastic in your hand, and that and the stuff was tumbling before you like <laughs> thought that through. I would, right. I, I can see myself mm-hmm. being in that situation. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. actually, I have no way for failure to stay interesting, and I'm just gonna have the narration be a little lukewarm on their uh on their awesomeness mm-hmm. instead of really pumping them up. Fine, let's go. Just right. Press on, press on. Like, I, I'm very comfortable uh tweaking the the stakes and the tone mm-hmm. as uh, a sufficient expression of well that role was terrible.
1: Sure. And don't get me wrong, like I, I'm not I don't have any judgment against people who choose to do like it's just not my personal preference. Yeah. No, no. So I, I just you. I don't fudge. The thing is like they don't like th- this is just sort of advice they're throwing out there, and it's really funny because oh, they're going to get way more into is, the pledging thing later on, right? Right. On. But but this is something that has it's one of those conversations yep. that comes up consistently all uh, the dude, time. That, that's
0: how I set my calendar. Right. Uh, y- y- you know it's oh, July it's that, if we're doing. It's that
1: time again. Yeah. yeah all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So anyway, we can move on. I just, I just, I'm just pointing out. I, I think that almost all the advice i read in here is yep. reasonable it's sound they back it up with examples not always good examples but examples they have you know a lot of things to say in here most of it is good a couple right. of things i don't agree with right so just just in the it, you know in the in the spirit of balance i'm not singing the praises of this and then saying all of it is 100% wonderful i think sure. it's mostly wonderful And then there's a couple of things I just inherently disagree with,
0: right? And like I said, we're going to get to a more full-throated defense of fudging that we can we can go through, Um, and a a lot of it, like the conversation around that, has changed not because of fudging itself, but because of uh, a deeper understanding of you know you can set the stakes to be something else
1: Mm -hmm. than. Right.
0: The fun happens or the fun doesn't happen, right? Right. And that's just text on the page in the 5e DMG now right. as we covered. <laughs> we uh, did?
1: It, win. <laughs> just kidding.
0: <laughs> well, s- since it's now nominally December for our <laughs> listeners, it's been a very long time. But mm-hmm. for us, it was a different very long time, but just right. less.
1: Anyway, I, 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 I get what you're saying. No, I, I agree. Yeah, and Chapter Eight is has has some very specific advice that applies, I think, more broadly than at first it seems. But anyway,
0: yep. Uh, so avoid splitting up. This is another one that, like, it, it's here to talk about keeping pacing moving. When it's okay for pacing to slow down, you don't need to follow this rule.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and it'd be very easy to misread what they're saying here. They're not saying don't do it. They're saying this is going to slow you down. Make sure you're ready to Mm -hmm. slow down. Right. Uh, But there (laughs) are ways to use um, splitting up to speed things up and keep things really like pulse pounding for sure.
1: Well, what's funny is they say don't do it, but then the rest of the paragraph is, "But when it happens, here's how to make sure you're still controlling the pace, right?" Yep. <laughs> so they know it's going to happen. <laughs> well, <laughs> they know <right>. it is.
0: <laughs> At no point are they going to come out and say, "Don't let your players split up." Right. That's that's contrary to to their whole concept of what a player's freedom should be. Right. And and they're right. You you shouldn't stop the players splitting up. Um. I mean, uh, I remember a campaign when I just gotten out of college. Um, the The party had this huge like rift and split up. Except it was it wasn't one player by themselves and the whole rest of the party. It was, I think, two and three or three and three, whatever the, the total total number of players was, and they both agreed to head to the same place. Just Screw you separately, and so I spent a session or two, like jumping back and forth between them in scenes, getting there. Um, and the thing is, because the players were all okay about it, the the, the characters weren't okay, weren't okay, but the players were.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it was just a really memorable thing, right? Um, yep. And like it was one of the few times we've had really intense uh, conflict at the table and it was all just fine. Um, Like no one seemed to be heard about it. The player that was at the core of the conflict and knew he was generating conflict, but he kind of flagged it hard enough that everyone knew it was coming and could kind of Mm -hmm. brace for it. So that was a neat thing. Um, Anyway, planning breaks is really good. Hold on. So what,
1: what what you're illustrating is the idea or the uh, – I don't know if I would go so far as to call it a tenet, but it's kind of a pseudo rule that is uh-huh. no matter what you read, if you read something, whether it's a book or something on the internet or you hear something on YouTube or whatever about D&D that says don't ever do this, never do this, yep. there will always be someone – who pops in and says, you know, I did that in a game once, or that happened in a game once that I was playing in and it was freaking awesome. It was great. It was wonderful because this and this and this and this happened. And then yep. this great thing happened and that person's not lying, yep. right? They're, they're telling you the truth of their experience about what that was. So the point here is When something is strenuously argued against or when something is is strenuously said as the rule is don't do this because it's horrible, it's not always horrible. But if you don't do it with intention and with forethought and with the idea that you're going to be able to adjust to the pace and you're thinking of the issues that it might cause, that's when you don't do that thing.
0: You, You can break any rule if you do it with understanding and intentionality right it's it's as true in game running as it is in i don't know oil painting as it is in filmmaking
1: and life yep it's true in life
0: well you you might really be in jail for a while but sure
1: well i mean
0: there th- there are right times to be in jail for a while I'm, I'm not going to say yeah,
1: that's 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 true right so anyway so planning breaks
0: <laughs> so so planning breaks um this is one that Actually, we can talk about more now Um, how just like our attention spans work a certain way and a 10 to 15 minute break where you have a a release from the situation at the game. Uh, Your attention is actually free to go somewhere else and wander. Mm -hmm. The table cross talk can be gotten out of the way a little bit then. Can mm-hmm. kind of say, can, can we put this? Can we table this conversation till the break? Kind of stuff. It's great. It's great, uh, and that's something that we need to do. What's cool is that you do hear people do it in actual play podcasts, right? Um, either they will like make sure sessions are a certain length, right? Like uh, two hours is a fairly normal runtime for D and D Reef. Mm-hmm. Uh, Right, mm-hmm. uh, and then some other shows I listen to, um, like a, a single episode is about an hour, and then they have a comfort break, and they film the next hour.
1: Mm-hmm. Right,
0: they, they record mm-hmm. the next hour, um, and that's their night. Right, but they're, they're recording two episodes in in a night, mm-hmm. uh, and then Critical Role has th- their comfort break, you know, at about the midpoint of mm-hmm. a three to four hour session. Well, right. that's exactly what they're saying here. Right. Um, but I think that DMing advice doesn't like dwell on this maybe as much as we can stand to. Just it, you don't have to press on through the, the full four hours. You can say, "Right, okay, ten minutes, guys."
1: Yeah, hit I him think. with a cliff. Hit him with a cliffhanger, and then. Yep. Let them walk away and ponder it and get something to drink and, you know, relieve themselves and walk around and go outside in the cold night air and chat with each other about whatever, and then come back in and refresh everybody. And I think that's reasonable.
0: Yep. Um, And also, they're talking about, hey, sessions don't have to go forever. You can stop them.
1: It's okay. (laughs) Right. Right. Yes. Um,
0: Yeah. And... and Right now, in the age of you know online play, predominating in most of our lives over in-person play, um, like a two-hour session is a reasonably long session. Mm-hmm. A, a four-hour session is is rough. A six-hour session is hard to schedule.
1: Right. Um, so. Well, and I just want to point out the the exact wording of their text here, because they don't say. Oh, you should just stop playing because four hours is too long. That's not what they say. Yep. What they say is it is a good idea to have an agreed upon stopping time, right? Yep. But the DM needs to conserve enough energy, emotional and physical, to make the last half hour of the game as enjoyable as the first half hour of the game, right? And so if your responsibility, and it's not only the DM's responsibility that everybody has fun, right? But, but in this case, we're talking about the DM controlling the pacing and the timing of the game. The DM's responsibility is to make sure that the game is fun pretty much the entire time. So if you're going too long, a telltale sign of that, if you can't figure it out, is that the last half hour of the game is nowhere near as fun as the first half hour. If that's happening to you every single time, that might be a clue that your sessions are too long.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, then scripting an adventure is really about thinking about pacing as part of your prep. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, yeah. Yeah. I tend to be a low prep enough that that's not even an option for me. But uh, in running Dragon Heist, I'm uh, slightly increasing the amount of prep that I do. Sure, sure. I get away with a lot just on instinct, frankly. Right. Uh, Sort of, I have a bunch of different what could happen next cards up my sleeve and... I play whichever one feels right for the moment. Mm-hmm. And I haven't necessarily thought it all the way through. I just get a sense which one feels right and do that.
1: Right. Right. Which is a valid style. And I, I'm a very uh, sort of low prep in that, in that way as well. Um, but I understand what they're trying to say here. They're trying yep. to say, you know, if you're really intentional about this, then as part of your prep... You can actually try to plan it such that you have a certain mix of different paces or different types of activities in your game that will accommodate your ability and and make it easier for you to be able to control that pacing. So, you know, uh, the thing is that you, Sir Brandis, have been writing and running games for a very long time i'm I'm
0: really waiting for that uh, knighthood to come through. let me tell you
1: yeah, I know I know you are I,
0: um, I, the fact that the um, British crown hasn't recognized me an American citizen for my knighthood I think is really uncool.
1: Yeah, I do too. I mean it's really just a travesty. it's just a completely uh, sorry. travesty yeah
0: it's bollocks <laughs> is what it is
1: <laughs> yep, yep um, so uh, but but you get my point, right so yeah, for sure. so it's easier for you dare I say, to say something like, well, I'm a very low prepped DM because I've you know, got these things, but you've oh, got enough oh, experience yeah, that sure. you're, you're pulling things out of your back pocket because you know your group well and you know the sort of basics of the story that you're telling or of the world setting that you've got and all of those things same with me right i mean like this this is how it is for us but if you were a new dm that wouldn't necessarily work for you so so giving this this example or or the 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 advice they give right about scripting it in in other words i think scripting an adventure is a bad way to to say, to say what they're actually saying. That's their heading, but I think it's a bad heading. But what they're really saying is you can prep in a way that is going to promote your acknowledgement that pacing matters.
0: Yeah. like If, if you want to phrase it as look at your outline, think about how much time each piece of your outline is going to take. Okay. You're
1: mm-hmm. good. Right. Yeah.
0: Like that, that's pretty much all it comes down to. Yeah. Guesstimate. The yep. amount of time that those encounters might reasonably take. Right. And adjust the events which might happen based on the amount of time allotted for the game session. Yep. That's right. just, um, right. m- maybe do some uh, some guessing around length of encounter. If you're going to be wrong, maybe by right. a lot. Yeah. Maybe they suddenly decide that <laughs> this bartender knows what's
1: mm-hmm. up. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, but so. yeah, I'm, we're on the same page here. Um, so next we get into building a dramatic environment um, and you know, this is a place where tech has started to not invalidate but maybe make this chapter, make section look a little bit dated just in what is even available for them to suggest
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, I mean I, I really appreciate their dedication to hey a lot of people playing this game have less than no money to spend we right. need to pitch our advice to people with less than no money to spend right uh, but you know they don't mention hey would you like to spend thousands of dollars on dwarven forge material
1: awesome. <laughs> <laughs> right right
0: um but like there's very good stuff in um Playing pieces and props, talking about uh, using miniatures, even if you don't use miniatures in combat, mm-hmm. but still having like a a rough model of the thing to look at is interesting. It, right. It engages the player's actual, you know, sense of sight with something to look at in what is otherwise a pretty heavily auditory game.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Um.
0: And then they, they get into battle mats um, and things like that. Well, mm-hmm. I, I actually don't know what year Chessex started releasing um, wet erase mats. Um,
1: well, they mention them in here.
0: Oh, do they? Okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah, they say uh, vinyl gameplay mats are gaining there you in popularity. Go. Yeah. There These you flexible go. playing surfaces are marked off in either hexes or square grids. Yeah. Right. So so they can't say Chessex because they don't have the... Sure.
0: You know, well... And I love that they say uh, use wood blocks or locking plastic bricks, right? Because they can't say Lego. Lego. Everyone knows they mean Lego. Lego bricks and toys, right. folks.
1: <laughs> yeah, but but yeah. So they and but they go so far as to talk about uh, you know for the for the poor students uh, in the crowd, they talk about uh, you know which I was when this thing was written, um, you know using a three by five card. It's totally okay to use a three by five card, you know, and here's an idea. If you can get different colors, make the monster groups, different colors. Awesome. (laughs) You know Um, which is great advice. Cause if you don't, if you don't really have an idea about whether that's okay or not, or you think it's too hokey or whatever, reading that in an officially published book is great.
0: Well, and the, the third bullet under props is especially delightful in light of, I don't know. The Beedle and Grimm's Descent into Mm -hmm. Avernus
1: set. (laughs) Yep. Yep. A stuffed
0: animal or plush fantasy monster can provide a Mm -hmm. lot of laughs as it mugs for (laughs) Wizards Familiar.
1: Yep. Right. And Beedle and Grimm's
0: is here to exploit that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's awesome. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Um, No, for sure. For sure. And
0: and like the, the whole section on props is sort of... They can't know that eventually this is going to be an incredibly successful company, but they are kind of pointing to that day when they talk about um, uh, use playing pieces from board games to represent treasure, provide mm-hmm. sample uh, items from a typical adventurer's inventory like mirrors, flasks, hammers, magic wands, and so on. Right. Um, you know, uh, use books with photos of real castles to depict castles in DM's game world. Like those are all great. They're great. Yep.
1: Um, You know what I used to do was
0: I used to like luxury experience is what I want to say.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I used to go through and, you know, we used to have, we used to get National Geographic magazine and I used to go through and cut out like the images of the different desert scenes and like places that I couldn't just go out and take a picture of with my camera. Nice. Um, And I would put those. You know, I would paste them onto a piece of cardboard or onto a, you know, white piece of paper or whatever, so that they were regular kind of paper size. And Uh that's what I would show my players, you know, and like saying something like, "Okay, well, you're in a sandy desert. And then that that gives way and, and drops off and leads to the Badlands, you know, and here's what that looks like compared to this thing over here that you were just at, you know, two hours ago, like. Describing it is one thing because it's auditory input, but then showing a picture Mm -hmm. and saying this is what you see all around you as far as the eye can see is amazingly effective for most people because humans are visual. We are very, very visual. And while it's awesome to be described something, having just a picture is great. Now, nowadays, I don't use National Geographic magazine. I use my good buddy Google. And I and I go do an image search, and I you know steal somebody's image off the internet because I'm using it for my own personal use, and you know, right. and and like that. So, right. you know, but that that's, and, like, it's the Pinterest same idea right? for you folks. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, uh,
0: uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, another great one that uh, a friend of mine has always been really wonderful and consistent about is uh, getting like, just facial reference images. For mm-hmm. people that we're going to run into a lot, yeah. And so he's got. He's either cast them as existing movie stars, or he's using um, like face blenders mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to say, "Okay, you know, internet program blend, you know, Omar Sharif and I don't know Antonio Banderas." Go right, right, um, because he, he thinks that's what's going to give him like the spirit he wants to that character and he's trying to communicate something about them. Right. Um, that will sort of trigger in the player's hindbrain more than anything overt. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah um like the, all of these are, are great tips. Um then we get to mood music um which is one I am not actually super fond of. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know guys I'm 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 40 my ability to hear really clearly when there's substantial background noise is on its way out. You know, I mean, it's not gone, but it's on its way out. Uh, mm -mm. it, it, It,
1: Well, and here's here's the thing, though. Anybody that has any sort of auditory deficit at all, whether it's because of some congenital issue or whether it's because of, you know, listening to too many loud concerts uh, when one was younger or whatever, right? Too too much loud iPod, you know, uh, earbuds in your ears or whatever. Like, um, if you have any hearing damage whatsoever, often what happens is you lose the ability to distinguish background noise from foreground noise. And so if there's a, and and I've, okay, I'm 48, okay, but I've had hearing issues since I was young. In terms of background noise, I have not because I had a lot of ear infections. And so I can't distinguish background noise. It's not, I take that back. It's not that I can't distinguish it. It's that my brain has a hard time focusing on the foreground, if there's a lot of noise in the background. It's not that I can't distinguish it. It's that my brain wanders and it pays attention to the background music, you know, I know a lot of people, they study or they're doing something and they turn music on in the background, and eventually they can't hear the music because they're busy doing and concentrating on whatever they're doing. I have a really hard time doing that because my brain constantly goes to where that sound is, especially if it's music Mm -hmm. with a crescendo. Mm -hmm. And of course, classical music has a lot of crescendo moments. And so I'll be pulled right out of the moment and it'll go right to the crescendo. And I hear it, and now i'm not hearing what the person is saying even though i know they're talking right to me. Yep. And that's not a preference thing. It's not cuz i like music better or because i don't really care about what the person's saying or whatever. It's the same reason i don't like large crowds because i cannot hold a conversation with someone in a large crowd because not because i don't care what they're saying but because all of the noises in the background take my focus away sure. oh, and yeah. i don't i don't have any control over that. And yep, so yep. I really wish this this section would give a caveat to that effect, that some people have hearing issues that make it difficult for them to focus if there is music in the background that has certain tones or certain elements like a crescendo or whatever. and. Otherwise right. it's a great I mean, section. I mean they do a lot to say hey look mood look I lo- I do love music, right? I'm not knocking music at all. I think music is oh, great. Sure. It can evoke a lot of emotions that aren't otherwise evoked in a particular situation, but if it distracts and takes focus away, it's not going to help your session.
0: Right. Um like with anything here they're going to say hey if this isn't contributing, drop it.
1: Sure. Just, just drop sure. it. Of course. Uh,
0: but you know in, 19, in 1990, the understanding of, for example, ADHD,
1: not mm-hmm. good, right?
0: Not not okay, but like that's absolutely a focus mm-hmm. issue that is going to be made much worse with, you know, background music that is in any way prominent and a crescendo is the definition of prominence,
1: right? Yep, right. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, that that's an auditory processing issue. That's right. Totally, a, a normal uh, problem for ADHD to, to give you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I, I feel that. Yep. Um, so (laughs) their examples of smells are are pretty funny. Well, wait, 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 wait. So so, hold on.
1: (laughs) Don't zoom past this. This is my favorite section in the entire book right now. Oh, sorry. 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 Well, Odors and research about odors is that's my wheelhouse, right? That's my, that's my, my area of study. Okay. So the fact Fair that they enough. say studies have shown that smell of all the senses evokes the strongest emotional responses. This is especially true of remembered smells is yep. like warms the cockles of my cold shriveled DM heart <laughs> because that's exactly what my area of research is is how smell how memory and smells work together. Literally, that's awesome. So I'm loving. I don't this think I knew that but- was your. Uh, I don't think I knew that was your focus. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Yep. Um,
0: but yeah, like it's a, it's a really nice section. Um, definitely is a required reading moment mm-hmm. for for any DM. Um, and, I mean, in a very real way, it's still um, a good expression of the same advice. Being given to adventure writers today, right?
1: Oh, sure. The, Absolutely. the
0: adventures league uh, adventure writers are getting a more boiled down version of this section as as advice right now. Mm-hmm. I know for certain.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, because ultimately what this – unlike the music section where it talks about actually playing music, this is saying don't try to change your environment by putting a specific smell in there. Don't do it. Right. It's, it's not going to work. It's not going to work for you, right? But right. describing a smell and using keywords or specific terminology that will evoke certain responses, right – is a very well, good thing to do, and that's true of all the senses, but particularly that, smell because smell does get connected so strongly to memories.
0: And It's worth saying that cantrip candles would like a word.
1: Well, um, sure, yes, I mean yes.
0: there are uh, some really nice uh, peripherals mm-hmm. uh, for gaming that are scent related. Now, um, you still want to keep them pretty low key, right? Right. right. Um, I'm saying don't go raid uh, the Yankee. Candle workshop, unless right. you're really sure.
1: Right. Because really also, sure. also, odors are some of those things where you can trigger aller- allergic reactions, right? For sure. So be careful yeah. if you get a candle that has an odor, right? Or sometimes it's just that people don't like a smell, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, or that the smell on the bottle doesn't actually, that's right. Like So oh, yeah. There's there's this Glade air freshener that's like apple cinnamon, right? And it does smell like apple cinnamon. I use it in, in classroom to do a demonstration of different things, but it smells like apple cinnamon, but it's the most disgusting apple cinnamon you've ever smelled. Right. Oh, no. Like it's so strong that you <laughs> it's, it's too strong, right. Cause it's meant for a large open area. And if you yeah. spray it in a smallish classroom, well, guess what? Right. And, and that proves my point in the classroom because what I'm talking about, but you don't want to do that to your game room while everybody's there, right? Just like you don't want to get the candle that is a dungeon latrine candle scent, right? Like that's not gonna make anybody happy, right? You're not, you're not gonna make anybody happy with that. Even if it would add to the realism, it's not gonna be a good moment. So be careful if you incorporate music or smells into your actual game, better to be able to describe them really well um
0: then player handouts have been a uh, a classic of sort of the art form for a long time um and i am as diehard a fan of the text prop as has ever been born mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. like uh, we went so much it we so hard on uh, text props for the LARP that we ran. That I haven't done a really good text prop for a tabletop game in a hot <laughs> minute, but um, I do love a good one because it gives you something to to poke at. Uh, you don't need to use really sticky, uh, zesty, uh fake blood. No matter mm-hmm. what the Larpers tell you, you don't. <laughs> um, right. It, you could even have. Uh, for some reason, a text prop with no blood on it. I don't know why you do that, but it's an option. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah.
1: Uh, but, I, I mean, I like got, text props
0: too. I've got text props from uh, you know, LARPs in the late '90s that are framed on the walls of my basement because they're such <laughs> right. such excellent game ephemera. Right.
1: Right. Right. Uh, yeah. No, I love them too. I once made a um I got these little like 32 little pa- 32 page like hand-sewn, hand-bound little books. Oh nice. Yeah. And I turned I turned one of them into a Ranger's journal. And in the game the Ranger was missing. And the, all they found at the way station was his journal and it had like a few pages of notes with a little scribbled map and uh, and it had like I took so I took a like a silver sharpie and I wrote some like arcane symbols and I wrote I wrote one of the passages in a in a in a, a, you know, a cipher code. And like I did all these different things and one of them had like a recipe for like a like a herbal healing salve. And if the players read that and they want to make that, I'll let their character make it and it counts Mm -hmm. as a healing potion. Like so. So it was it was a living prop, so to speak. Um, it was great. Yep. It was it was awesome to be able to say, "Well, here's what they found."
0: <laughs> Here it is. I, I will just say, as a viable alternative to buying a 32-page uh, you know, thir- uh, pre-bound thing, mm-hmm. you could marry a bookbinder. That is, oh, that is really working yeah, for there me. There you go. Yes. I, yeah, yeah. I, I really recommend <laughs> it to everyone. Uh, Bookbinders are great, and you should marry them.
1: Yeah, you know, my wife might be upset if I go out and I find a different wife uh, <laughs> to be I, I'm find.
0: sure she'd appreciate your dedication <laughs> to the art form, Sam.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> she might be like, "Well, can she bind a book for me too?"
0: Right. <laughs> it's it, it's 2021. Yeah. yeah. Come on.
1: I know. I know. Well, you know, I'm my my, my wife's second husband. Her first husband, who she's still married to, is Patrick Stewart. Well, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. When he got fair married enough. a few years ago, you know, he I, I I said, hey, you know, honey, did you hear uh, Patrick Stewart's marrying a, a younger woman? She's like 20 years younger than him or something like that. And she looked at me and she goes, oh, is it me? <laughs> <laughs> well I said, I wish. <laughs> so, you know, there you go.
0: That would be an awfully lot of financial comfort, yes.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No kidding.
0: Anyway, um, so we move on to suspenseful disinformation, which is not easy for me to say.
1: This section has my favorite line in the whole chapter in it. When we get there, I'll point it out.
0: All right. (laughs) Um, So uh, some parts of this are treated a little bit more controversially now. Like. Because if anything, this advice got made, got centered too much, uh, misperceptions, kind of using seams language mm-hmm. right. Uh, and like refusing to pin down reality for the players. right that 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 has its end point beyond which is too much. Mm-hmm.
1: You know uh, And you know, the thing is, I think they try to say that. Because they say, you know, players eventually learn to read their DM. So when you're when you start having a particular behavior or a particular turn of phrase or a particular thing that you do at the table, they learn what that means. And if you don't watch it, you'll fall into it when you don't mean to, and that could be bad. Or it could be just be bad that you're doing something so much the same that they recognize it could also be bad, right? So yep. You know, so I think they try. They just they don't go far enough in saying that, hey, you know, just like anything, in moderation, this works well, and maybe you shouldn't lean on it a hundred percent.
0: Yep. Um, and then the loose lips ships. Um, kind of uh, <laughs> roll dice and chuckle evilly. Yeah. Bit. Um, there was a point in my life when I was a big fan of that. At this point, I prefer not to be gaming the players. Mm -hmm. Um, I I don't really need to get into dark arts on my players. I can just make stuff happen in the game. It's okay. Like, this is a useful tool at a certain point in your journey, and then I think it stops being one for the most part, is my feeling.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't roll behind the screen. I do everything sure. out there's, in, there's in front of that. everyone. So I can't just roll out in front of everybody and accidentally roll a 20 and then be like, Oh, nothing happened. You know? Uh, Cause then it's, then it's yeah then it's like okay i am gaming them what the hell is my point right like that's not yep. that doesn't work right so yep. but if i was playing a game where i was rolling behind the screen like say original D, right if i was playing od and d you know the dm rolls all of the thief's checks and all that stuff so i would definitely do that still because that's the style of game it is
0: yep yeah. um then messy maps covers player mapping mm-hmm. which is Mm -hmm. An element of the game that is probably uh, within a hair's breadth of just dead.
1: I I don't know of
0: anyone who engages in player side mapping the way texts written in 1990 expected.
1: Certainly not in fifth edition, but... I mean, I still have my players' map when I'm playing Castles and Crusades, for example. I was wondering about so, that. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a it's a one-e style game. So it's um, and the thing what's funny about this section is not to me, it wasn't striking that you know, here's kind of a lost art. Cause you know, it even talks about mapping in the BMG for fifth edition. So I don't yep. think it's completely gone. I think it has to do with the style of a group. And I do know some sort of old school style players who play fifth edition, who still utilize a lot of the sort of old school ethos when they run. And so they do have their players map. Um, But the the funny thing about this that strikes that struck me was, it basically, so (laughs) it used to be that the advice was have your players map and describe it well enough that they can map it accurately if they're paying attention. If they're not paying attention, then it's their own fault, and you don't have to worry about it, right? Uh, um, and then yeah. if they, but and then if they if they're mapping it when they map it, if they map it right, and you're you're not lying to them when you're doing the description, right? So if they map it correctly because they're pl- the mapper's paying attention, right? Then they'll be able to realize where secret doors and whatnot might be, and that was part of the point of having them do it that and if For they sure. get if they get lost or if they need to run away you know this that there's different you know mechanisms about that right in in yep. those style games right this is actually advice that's a little bit it's it's advice that says okay well we're all bored with that now you don't want them to be able to do it accurately so that they can tell where the secret doors and whatnot are. In fact, it calls that an accident if they figure that out, right? Oh, if you're too specific about it, they might accidentally, you might accidentally give away where those secret doors might be. And to me, that's that's like a switch in how, like the point of having them map it, right? Yep. Because the whole point is if they have a mapper who gets good at it, And you're being honest with them when you describe what they see; they definitely can tell, and that's the whole point. Like that, you know what I mean? So, uh, this 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 uh, section struck me as odd that way because I do still play games where mapping is important. So it, you know, anyway.
0: Yeah, like uh, what I want to say is that overall, uh, in in my experience of gaming, is something I think uh, Rabbit said on the air. Uh, one of the last times she was uh, a guest on the show. Mm -hmm. Um, It's hard to think of a time when I have felt like I improved gameplay by giving out more bad information or less good information. Uh, I have almost always felt like I was going to get better results in play and have more fun with... uh, just giving players more information to make decisions with, because it's going to make them make more interesting decisions.
1: Right, and that's that's my personal philosophy as well. Right, yeah, uh, and that's very err, much. Err, yeah, air on the side of of giving them too much, because yeah. if you're trying to be subtle about some clues, you will be so subtle they won't get the clues. And it's not because they're dumb. It's because they're players and you're the DM and you already know all the stuff. Exactly. So when you give them a subtle clue, it's subtle to you because you know everything around it already. It's not even a clue for them because they don't have all of the context.
0: And and I think that this is kind of what um, Apocalypse World and Dungeon World and some of the other PBTA games were really trying to get at with a lot of GM principles. Mm-hmm. Um, there are principles around telling the truth, and I think that th- th- those are a shot across the bow at this whole uh suspenseful, suspenseful disinformation section.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or uh, like not even just powered by the apocalypse, but a game like um Cthulhu Confidential, right? Mm-hmm. Where the whole premise there is, if this is a clue that is necessary to carry the story forward. It shouldn't be held back. It should just be given right. freely. And right. that
0: tra- trail of Cthulhu and all the right. game yeah. Yeah. games. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so C- Cthulhu. Cthulhu
1: yeah. Cthulhu Confidential, I think, is basically Trail of Cthulhu, but for two players, a GM and a and a player, yep. right? Um, yep. and so it's the same sort of premise, right? But the idea is it's 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 the locked door problem, right? As I used to call it the locked door problem because if the game is written, if the adventure is written such that when the party gets to this door if they don't pick it and they can't kick it down or they can't open it somehow, then the adventure ends. They might as well turn around and go home. Right. Yep. Clues are like that too. If you get to a point where there's a clue that they absolutely need in order to move forward, why are you stopping them from getting the clue? Yep. Like you can challenge them. You can make them do something to get it. You can make them defeat something or solve a puzzle, but Stopping them a hundred percent from being able to get the clue is not going to help your game.
0: Right, and that's very much uh, the kind of uh, GMing advice that was going to erupt into the discourse well after this book came out. Absolutely, but, like mm-hmm. the words "fail forward" were not like in in the air in nineteen ninety the way they are here.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Uh,
0: sorry. Sorry. In in our time.
1: In our yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. In these so, benighted years.
1: Yeah. So this next section under magical misinformation—that's what has my favorite sentence.
0: Oh yeah, hit me.
1: Because here's what it says. It says magical misinformation. While this might sound like the sort of thing you receive at a White House press conference, it's actually a wonderful tool for spicing up your games. I think it is so funny that they're calling out. <laughs> The White House. (laughs)
0: Uh, I think it's so funny. They call that Sean Spicer by his (laughs) actual
1: name. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Exactly. It's so hilarious. That is so. I'm just like, oh, because see, here's why I think it's so funny. It's not even that the joke is that funny. It's that a few pages ago, they said the words. It's okay to try to be funny. Right. To to add levity to your game is okay and welcome. And amazingly, just a lame joke changes the pace and makes you rethink what's happening. And that's enough sometimes to shift the entire tone of the evening, right? And that's what you want sometimes. And that's exactly what this did for me as I was reading it. I mean, of course, it's not the most funny joke ever, but it made me chuckle and it made me think about their advice that they had just given. So they're even trying to show how to use the advice that they're giving as they're writing through this book. So anyway. Yep.
0: Um, I mean, ultimately – this is half misinformation and half just let your magic items be be mysterious. Mm -hmm. And I come down much more on like hand out clues, but make make sure there are lots of clues to get to the truth. Right. Lots of steps of clues to get to the truth. Mm -hmm. That's, Mm -hmm. that's a good mystery to me with magic item. I'm all about it. I couldn't be a bigger fan.
1: Right. Well, and there's also, um, a little bit of of rules seeing here, right? Like the rules of the game that you're playing matter in this case, because if if the rules say that an identify spell gives you everything and you play rules as written, and that's how you play, then you have to consciously intentionally decide that you're not going to do that. If you're going to follow this advice, right?
0: Right. Well, you you need to, like, like, if you care about this advice, let your players know ahead of time that you're not right. going to running. Identify as as written. That's right.
1: That's okay. Right, and that's and that's exactly my point. Is that the this is written for the rules of second edition D and D, where you know the first time the player uses the magic sword, they learn if it's a plus two sword or whatever, but they might not well, know its other properties, especially if they don't have magical ways to tell that. Right, and that's okay. And it's even okay to sort of mislead them about what it might do or what clues it's giving. That's what they're saying, right? Yep.
0: Yep, I agree with that. Um,
1: And you talk too much. This section, again, this is a little more of the controversial A little more controversial nowadays, I think, because uh, or maybe not not controversial is kind of the wrong word. Right. But it, it doesn't really match. For example, we were just talking a minute ago about erring on the side of giving them more information. And basically what this section says is only give them information that that NPC would really know on its face, that sounds like good good advice, right? Oh, well, that NPC couldn't possibly know what's happening in the capital because they've never even been out of their tiny village. Okay, fine. They're not going to know that. But do this with some common sense, right? Like yep. if the if the party has to go to every single person in the village to find the information they need because each person only knows one sentence... That's not right. going to seem very like a very good setup, right? Like that's, well, right. that's going to be weird.
0: Like you can get so far on, hey, I don't know this information, but I know who might.
1: Right. 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 Yeah.
0: Um, um, but you know, if if you want to, if what they want to say is, um, not every NPC knows the secrets of the cosmos. Yeah, fair. Sure. Right. It's, it's super fair.
1: Um. Sure. And I and I and that's that's why I said controversial is probably the wrong word. And yeah. so like, but again, if if I don't like advice that says don't tell the player something, right? Yep. Um what it's really saying is don't give them the information unless it's reasonable for the for the thing they're getting it from to actually have the information, right? For sure. Which I understand and I agree with, but um anyway, I think it's a presentation issue in this particular case so anyway all
0: right so fear and loathing uh is definitely about you know playing with perception and Mm -hmm. what you can't see because of the dark or whatever uh to to heighten fear yeah fair right like that's that's really good advice sorry about all that dark vision because (laughs) it Mm. right anyway
1: well, you know, OK, so in, in dark vision, you know, I always tell people, look, dark vision isn't regular vision. Like it doesn't like it, I have to tell my teenage players this all the time because they're not thinking about it. They just think, oh, dark vision, I can see. I can see in the dark. Right. Actually, you can only see in black and white and there's a lot of shadows for sure. And you're and the end. You know, I actually saw there's a great uh, thing on the Internet that I saw. And it was a comparison of okay, here is what you would see in this cave with the light on, and it's a picture. And then it's and then it says okay, if the lights are off and and you don't have dark vision, this is what you see, and it's like basically pitch pitch black, right? And then it, yeah. it has one that says if the lights are off, but you have dark vision, as in fifth edition, and it shows you what you see, and it's a really stark, like yeah. obvious. Is that the one that's
0: just taken through night vision goggles?
1: No, no. It's, it's like an art – it's a representation that changes oh, okay. the um, the saturation of the different colors oh, so wow. that it makes it – it shows you light versus no light versus no light but dark vision.
0: Right. Um, but I'll I try think to we can see how that, w- that would also yeah. be very challenging to deliver as narration. Oh,
1: right. absolutely. But being able to show the picture actually w- – went a long way with my teenage players. Cause they're like, Oh, like that's way different because as creatures that can see colors, we don't really think about the impact of what happens when there's not enough light, even if you can see. Oh, I, you
0: know. I, I have, I have definitely uh, been you know, under a moonlit night or whatever in, mm-hmm. in games enough to just, well, I can't read because <laughs> right. um, the rods won't do it. They just
1: <laughs> right.
0: Right. You need some cones for this bad boy.
1: Yeah, and uh, exactly. it ain't happening. <laughs> right. So, but I mean, but my teenage players, not not a chance they're going to understand that. So, yeah.
0: Well, the good news is a demonstration comes along very easily.
1: <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> That's true. Several hours very a day. <laughs> Yep. Go outside and um, touch grass. Eh, yeah, right.
0: <laughs> so, so next up is uh, funny ha ha, which mm-hmm. um, getting the balance right on humor can be super hard. Um, I've I've been in incredibly funny games uh, where it was fine, and I've been in games where the the silliness um, just meant that the stakes couldn't ever build up or all the jokes were pointing to real world things that weren't kind of funny enough for taking me out of the game. Right. Um, That's just a thing. It's just a thing.
1: Yeah. Um, And the thing about humor is it is so personal and specific, right? Yep. Uh, And I think we forget that because a lot of times there is a funny person a comedian or or some or a funny show or something that a lot of people like and they get and they understand and it makes them laugh and so they don't think of that funny thing as a very personal sort of thing but a sense of humor is actually a very personal thing and yep. everyone has a line right and everyone has a set of things that like there's a lot of jokes where i can appreciate why someone else might think that joke is funny but yep. I myself know that it's not funny to me, right? And everyone has that. I'm not special. Everyone has that. Maybe most people haven't thought about it, but everybody has that because your sense of humor is like a personality. It's it's personal. So it's really hard to nail something super funny for the entire group that is worth the major joke that you're trying to tell.
0: Yep. Right? So we go to DMing in full color and so so this is actually providing some of the balance that we were looking for in the Mm -hmm. sections before. Right. Um, And it's looking at fail cases of a lot of what they just said. And so I appreciate this very, very much for just balancing it all out and, and showing both sides of everything. Um,
1: Well, and this Uh, is even the section where they give a little ineffective vignette thing, and then they give an effective one. And then they even say, you know, even these are a little bit heavy on the pros. But you you get the point across of what's the difference between those two examples.
0: Right. Uh, Like, I will just say their first ineffective setting, actually ineffective. Their second ineffective setting, time and a place. Yeah, right. That, that that one could be a lot worse Um, depending on how much else has been established that I can kind of fill in, Mm -hmm. you know, things like time of year. I don't actually need that to be reminded here. I I, I get it just that wouldn't have been established at this moment kind of thing. Um, But yeah, they're right. That it gets a little, a little prosy, a little box texty, you might say.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. But this was the, right, this this was sort of the era of we're going to get heavy on box text because mm-hmm. I think they realized a, a failure at a lot of tables was this sort of thing where you didn't have someone that was providing enough description to keep the game very fun, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh,
0: so yeah, we don't need to cover this any more detail. It's it's quite good um and, and self-aware in an important way. Mm-hmm. Um uh making counters dramatic. Um I mean there's a bunch of bullet points here of uh, how to lean into the drama. Um and some of it is recapitulating what they just finished what we just finished saying mm-hmm. from a slightly different angle. Right. Nothing wrong with that. Nope. Like that that recapitulation kind of points to the fact that, yeah, these are the same same conversations we're still having. These are the same how to GM good lessons that are like, everyone is still learning. And honestly, this is a lot of what we were looking for the five E DMG to have and that they didn't have for reasons of page count. Right. Um, But it's not not for nothing also that they, you know, reference this book by name in uh, the appendix, in Appendix D. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um,
0: Like, they do actually want you to go hunt this book down and read it. Right. You know, it's a shame they can't include a PDF code.
1: Um, (laughs) Right.
0: But um, all of the advice here is really good. Like it's timeless good stuff. I I can find nothing to really complain about in in any of this. Um, Like because and if it were taken to an extreme, then you'd have something to complain about. If every foe seems unbeatable, then there's nothing interesting. The players don't feel like they grow, and also if they keep beating them, then you're your whole uh positioning gets undermined
1: right right, right?
0: because they stop believing you
1: mm-hmm. and there's no danger
0: right um and then
1: Can i only say know, that because they they actually point out like in the you know in their text here having that sense of danger is very important right
0: right and and there's a, a lot of different things that communicate a sense of danger um Be aware of them. Mm -hmm. A big one is how you describe them before the the fight starts, but all of your descriptions throughout the the fight carries that too.
1: Right.
0: Things like um, here's how they react to getting hit for 20 points of damage is a big deal.
1: Right. 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 Yep.
0: Um, So uh, threat of failure is uh, really talking about stakes. Mm-hmm. setting stakes in an interesting way and uh, raising the stakes at the right time, I think uh, it's, yeah. it's just yeah. what is at risk if you fail? Well, all right. Um, what I wish they could talk about here, but they don't maybe maybe it comes later, you know, who knows uh, is just set stakes very carefully. So that the stakes you're setting are something the players don't know out of play that you won't destroy. Don't paint a yeah. destroy target yeah. on something you can't bear to destroy. Right. Because if you do, the players will know you don't mean it.
1: Right. Right. And they don't They don't go into that at all in this particular section. Really, all they say is, you know, you want to increase drama by putting all the PCs at risk and don't forget to make the reward equal to the risk right yep. and then they don't add anything about and don't just threaten to take that stuff away <laughs> right. you know um, so yeah um, and then we get to uh, the these uh, horrible vignettes very oh. badly written um <laughs>
0: Well, it, they're, yeah. they're, they're not, they're not, maybe the, the punchiest is yeah, solid. The, the dialogue.
1: Say. What it what it's doing is it gives two examples of a game. So it does the whole, uh, it, it's a dialogue, right? So the DM says this, and then this player says this, and then the player of this PC says that. And, um, and it's the point they're trying to make is that if you try to use narrative language in your descriptions, you're, and, and, and encourage your, your players to do that, you get a much richer, more dramatic scene uh, than if you just say, oh, I rolled a 16, I did 12 points of damage, and your turn, you know. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, while while what they're saying is true, there's only so much description and narrative that you can throw at every sword swing, Right. Right.
0: You've got to make it, you've got to use it when it counts, Mm -hmm. especially early in a fight. If it tapers later, that's okay. Right. Uh, But there's, there's other really key advice I want to, I wish I could layer into this, right. Which is you need to be changing up what the players want during the fight or what Mm -hmm. the monsters want during the fight. So that you don't have both sides of a fight repeating their actions uh for three rounds in a row and then mm-hmm. the fight's over. Right. That that's not working.
1: Right. Or I mean that also can work though, right? Because if you're playing basic D D and there's been a wandering monster encounter and it needs to be a quick squir- skirmish, right? That's okay. It's part of the game. Sure. Right. Sure. And that's fun for that style game because that's part of what the expectations are, right?
0: I mean, so- I would certainly say it has been fun in the two of annihilation game I'm playing, it's working
1: right and right. so but the, but the thing is like uh, i get for me the thing is that um what this this vignette and this dialogues that they write what it doesn't say is it's okay if you have players that just want to say oh i rolled a 20 i yep. did seven points of damage you know what happens now did it die did it die you know like that can also be fun and exciting and it's a perfectly fine way to play right yep and so, while the more narrative style and, and throwing in the narrative descriptions, yeah, that can add drama and whatnot. But if you do that every time, you're going to end up just reusing the same words and the same uh, literary techniques and phrases just because you're a human being. Right. Yep. And none For of sure. us have, you know, th- I mean, I have a very good vocabulary in my own opinion not to pat myself on the back but i have a pretty good vocabulary <laughs> but even having a really good vocabulary when you're the dm you're worrying about all these other things too you're not necessarily worrying about describing the perfect sword swing especially if they miss right
0: like you'll have to you have to picture willem defoe for me i'm something of a vocabularist myself <laughs>
1: Nice, nice. But you get my point, right? Like I I'm not knocking anybody's vocabulary. I myself have a pretty good vocabulary. Some of my players do, some of them don't. And that's not there's there's not a value judgment attached to that. It's just different life experiences and priorities, right? And especially
0: like here in 2021, we want to make sure we're protecting space for people, you know, playing in something that isn't their first language.
1: Right. For sure. Yeah. And for and just for people who don't really give a crap about a big vocab, I mean, honestly, uh, there's no reason why a person absolutely, positively has to have a large vocabulary.
0: Uh, except that I want them to share the kind of fun that I have.
1: Sure, is... <laughs> I, I'm not knocking it. I think a big no, vocabulary I know. is great. I know. I'm just I know. saying that for me, I understand that the world includes people different from myself with different backgrounds and different possibilities and different opportunities, and not everybody that I play with has the ability to maintain that large vocabulary let me give you an example i played with a group about five or six years ago where one of the players was a combat vet and he had a traumatic brain injury when he was in iraq he was the i don't i don't know the exact details of everything that happened but he Mm -hmm. got injured got a traumatic brain injury so his brain works a little bit differently than it used to. He used to have a great vocabulary, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but nowadays he struggles to find certain words. They're just not there. And he knows they exist, but he has decided for his own personal mental preservation to not worry about the fact when he can't find a word for something, right? He either goes and looks it up or he just picks another alternative word that is the same basic meaning and gets his point across because it's better to just be able to communicate at all than it is to write and so it sounds like that that is going to be really disrupting or whatever and it wasn't disrupting at all not at all oh yeah right yeah. and so that's what i mean when i say like it's not important if somebody doesn't have a big vocabulary because you could totally play this game without a big vocabulary and have a crap ton of fun, and it doesn't matter if you narrate your sword swing the same way each time, and I wish mm-hmm. they had put that in here too, right? Yep.
0: I absolutely agree with that. Uh, but yeah, the, the commentary here goes on probably a little longer than it requires because it wants to describe everyone getting a little prosy.
1: hmm Yeah.
0: Like I need you to get to the monkey guys. It just can mm-hmm. get right to that monkey. <laughs> um, and if you have not, if you're not familiar with the band tripod, you won't get that joke. Um, so when the rules get in the way is the next session. Um, and there's a right time to get into every nuance of a rule and, you know, chase down getting exactly right maybe because it's a high stakes situation um Mm. and there's a time to say yeah it's close enough i don't need to make a thing out of this we can accept this and move on or you know what um maybe there's maybe the character shouldn't be able to cut that corner because it's a a hard wall corner i i don't care the scene is more interesting if he gets there on time It's just. Mm. Go, go,
1: just right. go. Yeah.
0: Uh, is Those are all situations I've seen. hmm Right.
1: Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, um, again, sometimes this comes down to a, are you playing rules as written or are you playing loosey-goosey, right? Yep. And there's, well, again, and- there's no value judgment on either one of those, but if you're playing rules as written and then all of a sudden you're going to get loosey-goosey, everybody needs to be on board with that. Right. Right. And vice and vice versa. So if you're playing loosey goosey, and then all of a sudden in this battle, now you can't round the corner that way. You're going to totally throw off whatever that whoever that PC is, whatever their style normally is, because they've been doing it the other way the entire rest of the game, and now suddenly you do- you don't want them to. Like that's a sort of different issue than what they're actually yeah. addressing here, but I'm just pointing it out that they could have said something. They could have cut some of this dialogue from the previous section <laughs> to say that in here. Right.
0: Well, and, and also even more than that, be careful that you are uh, applying the same sets of rules, conceits to every player. Right. Yes. It would be so easy to be generous with, with one player and strict with another.
1: hmm hmm um, right. Right.
0: Th- that is a pitfall I can only too easily imagine myself falling into. And I mm-hmm. resist it. Right. You can ask my players whether I succeed.
1: Yeah. And uh, I'll tell you you probably don't uh, you because know, that's human nature, right? But being cognizant of it and trying to be intentional about your rulings is all you can do. That's the best you can do. And you're probably more fair than a lot of other people who don't think about it, right? I'll um, um this section does have one of the one of the really good pieces of advice it says assume that as heroes the characters can overcome simple challenges without needing to roll dice the task if the task is reasonably be if a task is reasonably within a character's abilities let the character do it Yep. The same is true if there is no personal danger involved in a task or if multiple tries are possible. And so, what they're getting at, I'm surprised it took 30 pages to say that. Right? Yep. Because that's an important tenet that I think has been carried through all future editions or maybe should be carried through. I think
0: people inside of it. It's written written in exactly as many words in the 5E DMG. Absolutely. For sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm not. I, what I was saying was I'm not sure about third edition, honestly, because I don't. I'm not the expert on third edition, but I'd
0: have to go review it. Yeah. Uh, I, I expect this rule is in there.
1: Yeah, it, uh, yeah, and and it's it's really the whole reason for take ten, right? Like yep. if you've got enough time, just take ten and do it. Like this is yep. doesn't require a roll.
0: There's right? no pressure here, and right. failure isn't interesting. So yeah. right, so just yeah. do it.
1: Right, yeah, and uh, and I think that's that's an important thing, that it's really it's a really good, I wish it was highlighted in here.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um, Then character mortality is the next session. Mm -hmm. Um, Boy, this one is uh, always a great way to start some discourse (laughs) in the, (laughs) the gaming forum of your choice. Oh yeah. Because uh, every possible range of opinion uh, will be like, Demonstrated among an audience of literally any size, including in some cases, an audience of one. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Because you're talking about, you know, uh, how hard does death need to stick so that the stakes of your campaign matter? Well, Mm -hmm. that's a really complicated question. Right. Depends on what your ordinary stakes are. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, if you are not already in the habit of setting stakes, so that uh, you know a player death is you know it can be walked back with a raised dead spell, and it all still matters, then maybe you should learn to do that. Maybe that's a good practice for you. Um, on the other hand, there's nothing wrong with being the kind of DM where it is uh, the stakes are about these characters. And if they die, they need to stay dead or it all falls apart. Right. If you're running a Darkest Dungeon-infused D&D, yeah, death has to stick. That's not negotiable.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: there, there can't be ready access to raise dead. A discovery of a way to raise even one dead character needs to be a big deal. And that's fine. That's totally fine. Like, mm-hmm. Our storytelling admits everything from um, the Marvel comics revolving door all the way to, um, you know, a, a truly gritty story. You know, a story is without any form of restoring the dead at all. There's, you know, dead is dead mm-hmm. in most Hollywood movies, the great majority.
1: Mm-hmm. So. Yep.
0: You know your your D D will accept all of those as well as what I'm right. trying to say.
1: Yeah, my homebrew setting, gen- in general, for a very very long time, had a rule that there is no such thing as resurrection, because uh-huh. the gods believe that uh, when somebody is raised, that's undead. Mm-hmm. So right. no resurrection or reincarnation exists except by divine intervention basically a god has to do it in other words there's no way for a a worldly priest a mortal you know priest or or acolyte or cleric or anybody to do that it does not exist because people who do that they raise the dead they 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 actually it's necromancy and that's outlawed so since that's outlawed no one has ever tried to And succeeded at figuring out how to actually cast a resurrection or raise dead or reincarnation spell because, number one, it's looked down by all the divine religions. And number two, every time they try, they accidentally become necromancers, (laughs) right?
0: I I, I just – I think that this is – horrible anti-Necromancer bias. It takes a Necromancer <laughs> to raise a family, Sam.
1: I know, I know. And it takes a village.
0: Um, it takes but, a Necromancer to raise a village too. Uh,
1: that's true. <laughs> but I'm just saying, right? Like, and it's totally okay for that. It's also okay to have a setting where if this is what you want, raise dead is readily available to anybody over fourth level, right? Like mm-hmm. yeah. whatever, that's fine. It's totally okay.
0: Yep. And, and I think that coming up with, you know, interesting setting specific uh, subsystems around death is um, fine fun and i'll I'll be happy to read all kinds of different variations and mm-hmm. will be interested in the effect they have on play.
1: Yeah like,
0: I think it's all valid. yeah um, But I think that talking about alternatives to dying and reminding the DM that hey you know the, the players are allowed to not go for lethal stakes. Especially in Five E, mm-hmm. they can just decide, "Hey, that hit wasn't lethal. He's right. alive." Um, NPCs can do that too. Right. It's fine. It's really fine. Mm-hmm. They like you can give them motivations that aren't. I want this dude dead, and I want it yesterday. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And that goes right along with the idea of you know creatures fleeing to save their own lives. Yep. Absolutely. Or or a hungry creature instead of killing one pc or not you know knocking them unconscious and then fighting the next one actually leans down to take a bite out of that one that they killed cuz they're that hungry right like it's open for all sorts of however you want to do it right as yep. long as everybody knows what the stakes are and what the and what the rules that are going to be followed are it's okay yep. if it's if it's fun in your game do it it's fine so um.
0: No. And we, we finish out the chapter. The chapter.
1: <laughs> oh, dear. Yep. With, with my, uh, my favorite section.
0: <laughs> oh, uh, f- fudging
1: or constructive <laughs> cheating.
0: And honestly, we've said enough about this already tonight. Yeah. We can probably elide this completely because it's just going to like er, go back over it with some use cases around. Is there a trap here? Well, no, I I know that dice said so, but it's not interesting.
1: Well, so let me let me just so let me read one sentence and then tell you why this entire thing is bad. Sure. It says in a sense, whenever a situation arises in which the outcome of the entire adventure seems to hang on a single die roll and that die roll fails, the DM is encouraged to fudge, to cheat in a constructive manner sure here's my problem with that
0: well part of your problem with it is that you just read them inventing trail of cthulhu in 1990
1: here's my problem with this my problem with this is if your entire adventure hangs on one die roll that's a design problem something went wrong a long time ago and it's just now coming to fruition to bite you in for sure right for sure and Um,
0: now I, i will say uh when you get into some kinds of save or suck spells, right, mm-hmm. where the the NPC gets like one saving throw against this uh, mid to high level spell, and if they fail it, like, there goes my whole threat. I just got mm-hmm. nothing. I failed to predict it. I got nothing. Well, right, but boy, is that a tempting place to fudge.
1: If that NPC was so important to remain alive... Then they shouldn't be put in the situation where they have to save or suck.
0: I, mm, that is a complicated conversation to me. Yes, it because is <laughs> it, because it's so important. Because it's so important to create situations where the players can talk to the villains and feel things about them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Instead of every villain's appearance is also their last.
1: Like, right but so every
0: villain is a three-round villain
1: yeah yeah but i I, what, I guess what i'm saying is if that npc that you mentioned is so important and then they die there has to be a way for that importance to remain or for the mantle to be taken up by something else that then become you know what i'm saying like sure there's a way to sure. fix this without fudging the die uh, Right.
0: I would certainly assume so. Yes.
1: And so for me, it's all—it's—it's it's sort of like this, right? So my my response to this is actually, if I was at the table and I didn't realize, and I—and then something happened, and this this individual is trying to save or save or die, I would literally just give them an ability to make that save. Sure. Right. I'm not rolling the die because I'm not going to fudge it. Well, and so I mean, now the audience is saying, little, "Well, well, that's fudging in itself, right?" Except, well, it, it,
0: in, in fairness, the way legendary resistance works, you roll it, then you say mm, they decide to pass instead.
1: Yeah, right. Well, in fifth so, edition, but I'm talking about other editions, right? Oh, oh, sure, you're talking sure, sure, about sure. a saber suck roll, right? Sure. So,
0: I mean, I'm specifically thinking of like your 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 force, case, force mm-hmm. cage, your mm-hmm. maze, your yeah. like. It isn't sure. save or die. It's just save right. or mm, this encounter isn't dense anymore.
1: Right. Right.
0: And I don't know. there There's so many possibilities in emergent play in my experience yeah. that I don't want to say, hey, DM, you screwed up. Like your, your players followed an emergent path that mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. didn't foresee the end of. Like, yeah. But you're I, human, whatever.
1: Yeah, you no, know. and I and I'm not, and I'm not. I'm just saying, for me, my preference yep. is don't let it get to the die roll, right? Sure. If sure, it's sure. one die roll that your entire campaign is hanging on, it needs to not be a die roll. Like that, that die roll should not be happening. Yep. Right. Yep. Or you need to be okay with them failing. Yep. Right. And that's that's just my own personal, like that's my. That's my preference and my, like, I, it just, it's, it's that same locked door problem. If you get to the point where there's one thing and if they yeah. fail it, you're screwed. Well, there's something wrong with that. Like that something went wrong before that either, either the NPC didn't have a resistance that they need or, or you didn't anticipate something that was obvious which is uh, happens all the time, right? I'm not saying that doesn't make somebody a bad DM. That happens all the time. But I'm just saying like there's a problem there that existed before and it should yep. not get to that single die roll. So that's my whole problem with this is that if something relies on one, to me, like the dice are the randomizers. And if you're not willing to accept a failure, then you need to not be rolling that die. There needs to be a reason why you're not rolling because you okay. shouldn't be fudging. Right, like that's just my own personal, you know, whatever. So anyway, (laughs) Uh,
0: so that's going to bring us to the end of chapter three. Uh, I will certainly admit that we had ambitions of getting past chapter three that were uh, foolish, Mm. foolish of me indeed. Um, Next time we'll be covering chapter four: uses of judgment. That's a paladin power in World of Warcraft. Is what that is. Um, You use it when you've set up a too far. Never mind. Yeah. (laughs) um so uh thank you very much everyone for listening sam where can our listeners find you
1: oh uh you can find me i forgot about this part you can find me on uh, twitter at dm samuel and you can find me on the interwebs at rpgmusings.com.
0: we've all had our days of wanting to forget about twitter that's for
1: sure yes no kidding lately all the time Uh. (laughs) what about you sir
0: uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brandis Stoddard. I write for Tribality.com. My personal blog is www.brandisstoddard.com. And I have a Patreon. It's Brandis Stoddard. I hope you'll come find me. Excellent. And so now we have our closers. Sam, would you like to offer anything in closing?
1: Well, my offer is please get vaccinated. And please wear your mask when you're out in public. This thing isn't over We don't want any more people to die. Please take care of yourself.
0: I really, really hope that by the time you're hearing this, my kids are vaccinated. Yeah. I I hope that you all understand what I mean when I say lives matter. Black lives matter, trans lives matter. But folks, we seem to have forgotten that lives matter. Yeah. Good night. Good luck.